You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Fan, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 3, today Rene Pernet. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, oh, it feels like did you such a good comeback after um, I have to say it it's a, it was a f- day yesterday <laughs> and uh, oh, losing Marta and crashing and have to come back and and then I but I, I just loved how the team kept the fighting spirit and yeah we knew that today was a super good day and if I yeah, had the legs then uh, I could try and go for the win and, and to actually do it and be a Twitter front stage winner. <laughs> oh, and in, and in <laughs> this jersey. Oh my God. <laughs> it just, it, it doesn't get better. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain your sprints? How strong were you to beat Marianne Voss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I realized it yet. <laughs> Oh, but it was, <laughs> and I actually, oh, I, I didn't come into like the the last corner in the best position, but I just kept fighting, <laughs> and uh, oh, what a victory, man, <laughs> and this is for the team, this is for my team, they did such a good job yesterday, and they kept believing in me, so yeah. <laughs> I love you guys. What a win on what a year for Denmark. <laughs> yeah, what a year for Denmark. <laughs> Huge congrats. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you just heard a rather uh, breathless, uh, tearful, slightly sweary interview there from Cecily Utrup Ludwig. Of course, the winner of stage three of the Tour de France fam uh, here in Epinay. And I should say, it's rather lovely being in Epinay. I'm enjoyed by Anne Maria Rook. Or Rook. <laughs> Again, an, another, a new butchering every day. Hello, that was, Rook. That was actually really good. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Uh, how are you enjoying being here in Epinay? I like it. The champagne is good. People are friendly. What's, what's more to like? Well, yeah, we've got some great champagne here. I'm sorry. And Lizzie Banks, who's just joined us on, on our Zoom call. Well, you know, I, I have, I have, yeah, rather flatter, slightly less yellow champagne, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm sipping it, sipping it with you. So uh, they're, they're with you in spirit. Well, exactly. And it's beautiful surroundings here. We've got uh, just the, the sunset, beautiful big stone brick uh, buildings. Obviously, all of the champagne from, uh, comes from here. This is the champagne region. A rather grand buildings that are all of the all the champagne producers come from. I can actually hear the champagne already hitting my uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to say already, which is not a not a good sign. But uh, well, should we find out? We we know that Cecilia Ludwig obviously won the stage because we've already heard her uh, emotional interview already. But Lizzie, do you want to roll on with the tale of the attack? Well, Rose, let's do just that. The world was put to rights with Mariana Voss donning the yellow jersey for stage three from Rheim to Epinay for 133.6 kilometres of hilly terrain. Two notable non-starters this morning, Amanda Spratt of Bike Exchange had too much pain to continue and Ali Wollaston of AG Insurance fractured her wrist and many more were left licking their wounds in the run-up to what was a stage backloaded with difficulty. 
Yesterday's Corrections Corner, it was Femke Marcus of Park Hotel Valkenburg wearing the polka dot jersey today, equal on points with her teammate Femke Geritzer, who took maximum of two points on each of the three Category 4 climbs ahead of Canyon Shram's Elise Shabby. A cagey peloton kept it tight until the first serious attack of the day from Elena Amielusik at 45 kilometres to go. An unusually late nature break for Annemiek van Vluten had her team working at full pelt to bring her back to the bunch just as the race hit the finishing loop. With the ominously named Cote de Mutiny looming on the horizon, a stressed peloton was lined out into the tricky entry into the climb. Crashes on two consecutive corners took Rachel Nalen of Cofidis and Veronica Ewers of EF Tibco SVB out of contention. As the bunch raged up the 12% gradients, Amielusik was absorbed whilst teammate Neviodoma had ground to make up after getting distanced before the start of the climb. Ashley mormon passier stretched her legs, distancing Voss and Utrup Ludwig, whilst Neviodoma was still clawing her way back behind. Having made the front split and critically distancing Voss, Vollering and Lippert hit the deck on a fast left-hander. Sylvia Persico, also in front, was now the virtual yellow jersey and was riding out of her skin to drive the group to the line. Behind, the chase was on. Utra Ludwig, Voss, Niviodoma, Faulkner, Labou, Vollering, hanging just 10 seconds behind the leaders at eight kilometers to go. The call from the radio of SD Works for Mormon Passio not to ride brought the two groups back together within touching distance of the first bonus climb of the race. Three, two, and one seconds were available atop the Mont Benon, but it was the back of the group where the real action was happening. An out-of-sorts Annemiek van Vluten couldn't follow the pace and was 17 seconds down at the top of the climb. A monster ride from van Vluten brought her back to the group just as they hit the Flamme Rouge, with Vollering leading out on the front. With 300 metres to go on the steep kick to the line, Nevia Doma launched early, Voss and Mormon Passio glued to her wheel, just as it looked set as a stage win for Voss, Utrup Ludwig catapulted herself around the trio with 100 metres to go, flying past the yellow jersey and posting up with bike lengths to spare. From desperation to elation, the Danish champion flipped the fortunes of FDJ on yet another spectacular day at the Tour de France Femme. Voss and Mormon Passio crossed the line in second and third, with Voss retaining yellow, adding six bonus seconds to her overall lead. The white jersey passed to Julie DeWilder of Plantapura, Femke Herzer secured the polka dot jersey, and Canyon Shram retained their lead in the team con competition, heading into what promises to be another thrilling stage tomorrow from Trois de Bas-sur-Aube. The cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Femme, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Now, you'll have heard during our Tour de France coverage that they have their own podcast too. That's called the Super Sapiens Podcast, and that is presented by Zylon Van Eyck and Dr. David Lippmann. Now, remember in the middle week, we heard some clips from Ashley Moon-Passio, who, of course, came third on today's stage at the Tour de France Femme. Uh, but they also have another episode that we're going to hear from uh, where they spoke to Rachel Nalen, who is riding for Covidis here at the Tour de France fam as well. So let's have a listen. 
when you have a really, really high density of intensity and you want to put out a lot of high intensity efforts, then really focusing on, on the high carb fuel starting to fuel earlier and definitely having having a high carb breakfast before the session. I've had a lot of I've had a lot of learnings from Super Sapiens. Um it's been it's been a fantastic journey so far. But I think that's probably the holy grail is just understanding and having a grasp on how much you you need to feel like you know you you think oh yeah I'm, you know I'm feeling high but it's not until you see the impact of that on your on your glucose score that it really hits home and that you can make those habitual changes. Find out more about Super Sapien's system of continuous glucose monitoring, which can help tailor your fueling and training for success. Go to supersapiens.com. Well, as we already know, Cecily Utch Ludwig was the stage three winner at the Tour de France Femme, and she's a massively a fan favorite but actually not a rider that gets that many results she's not a, a rider that wins a, an awful lot but she really has uh, you know the public's heart wouldn't you say absolutely i mean she's what i would call a total quote machine when you know when you're gonna <laughs> interview uh, cecily you know you're gonna get some really um emotional quotes and and the, the public loves that and what was it like in the press conference oh it was like a stand-up comedy show it's phenomenal the whole press room was laughing and why do you think that she has that uh, effect on people? Because she, I mean, she has, uh, she kind of draws the viewership uh, into cycling, but not by her results, but by, as you say, like you know, the the post race interviews that she does. Yeah, she's she's emotional. She's boisterous. She's completely free uh, with her expressions, and I, I think the the people like to see that. Uh, now, Lizzie, obviously you've uh, ridden alongside uh, Cecily Utrecht Ludwig. Yeah, tell us a little bit about her strengths as a rider. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually not surprising that she did so well on, on this climb today. Perhaps it's a little bit surprising that she could out out Voss Voss. Um, but as we saw in Poe back in 2019, it was quite a similar finish. It was a, a really punchy climb, but then with a little flat a bit afterwards. And she was third there in a really phenomenal finish. And again, the, the Giro dell'Emilia, which she, she won in 2020, that was a steep climb, but the way you win it is by having a really, really sharp kick. And I think I said this in the preview show, I, I, I don't think that, that Cecilia Utrecht-Ludwig is out and out the best steep climb climber, but I do think she is a brilliant punchy climber. And I think actually, because people look at her as a climber, sometimes her, her best characteristics are overlooked. You know, these kinds of stages, um, you know, course back in 2019 we saw her on the podium at the Tour of Flanders as well because she did an absolutely phenomenal attack on the cobbles just came flying past the whole bunch with exactly the same sort of punch that we saw today so I think looking ahead to tomorrow she's going to be looking to to capitalize on that as well you know it's a very kind of Stradabianche type race a race that's going to require punchy efforts and, and that's exactly what what suits her down to the ground but I mean we don't normally consider the kind of punchy riders to be GC contenders do we so uh, you know do you think it's in a way a little mistake for her to be going for the GC uh, or do you think that she she has the caliber in the high mountains anyway uh, I, I, I don't know I mean I don't think it's a mistake especially not now that Marta Cavalli is out of the picture of course it's a, it's a shame that Grace Brown lost so much time because I actually think that although people don't look at Grace Brown and see her as a climber she can climb phenomenally um, 
she is definitely the best card that they have to play in the GC. So they will protect her and try to stop her losing time. Um, and of course, try to go for more stage wins. You know, she's got a good chance and, and she's got a good chance of getting on the podium. We, we saw, you know, we'll talk about later how Anamique was out of sorts and you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, tomorrow you could have the three top favourites for the GC losing five, ten minutes. We, we just don't know. So you've always, you know, you've always got to keep... You've got to keep yourself up there. You've got to keep, keep keeping within the time whenever you can and just keeping, keeping the options open. And Rook, uh, you mentioned there, Lizzie, of course, about Marta Cavalli uh, crashing out yesterday um, and that kind of changing, I guess, FGJ's dynamic. But FGJ, they had a really bad day yesterday. How much of this is a vindication for them? Oh, it's, it's a complete vindication for them. Um, Silla was saying that, you know, that this win was for her but mostly for the team in that um, she just wanted to show that you know we fight back and uh, the whole team rallied behind her they they allowed uh, a little bit of downtime last night like okay this happened to us like how do we feel about it and then they rallied together and 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 tackled today like a brand new day and um, to great success and obviously that's a, a huge thing uh, Lizzie as a, a pro rider yourself how big is that to, to have the morale of a, a win when especially when you've had such bad luck um, so oh, far in a race I, it's just the most important thing I think when there's when there's a bad dynamic in the team when there's a bad feeling uh, it, it brings everybody down and these races are exhausting you know there's we've seen how so far these three stages have just been absolutely full gas it's not not like your average stage race and again tomorrow it's going to be the same i don't think that the gc riders are going to get any respite until stage five or six um so it will be four full full gas almost like one day stage races back to back and that's exhausting plus you've got the transfers and all the other things that you've got to do around that so then if you've got that positive mentality within the team it just lifts everybody up and it gives you that extra bit of extra bit of energy that that you really need to keep going and it is such a mental game at the end of the day all of these riders that they're so close physiologically like really everybody is just just absolutely on a par but if you've just got that one percent extra mental strength or five percent if you've just had a stage win that's an absolute game changer i have to say i was so impressed in the way that cecilia ludwig went about that win i mean we were together weren't we at the finish rook and uh it i i felt sure that it would be uh, a, a day for mariana voss i mean she seemed to be coming up so fast i mean how impressive did you feel that Cecily Utrecht's performance was to get this win today? I mean, to be honest, I didn't even think she was in the running. She like came out of nowhere, and suddenly, you know, you see this this red blur come by, and you're like, oh, I forgot she was in the mix. She like stayed hidden so well, and uh, and just when the way she came over the top, I mean, yeah, she was she was deserved winner today, and. The, the finishing climb was actually a lot steeper than it may have looked on, on TV. I myself wrote it this morning um, on my Brompton, and uh, I was I was surprised how uh, everything's steep on the Brompton. Though, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, I, when I saw it, I knew immediately like this may not be a Mariana Vos win. Um, I actually thought maybe you know Longo Borghini, more upper alley, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, my bad for for not counting on uh, um, uh, Ludwig to. To take the win. Do you think that's a little bit because she, you know, she doesn't win a, an awful lot? It, you know, does that buy into that that you're not looking to her for the win because you know it, she doesn't win an awful lot? Yeah, that, I mean that's that's definitely a factor for sure. Yeah. 
because I mean we're talking about her last win was actually at Vuelta a Burgos uh, last year at stage three uh, that's her only other world women's world tour uh, win to date what do you think is the difference Lizzie uh, you know between because you say you know everyone's very close physiologically what is the difference between getting a lot of podiums uh, a lot of top fives that Cecilia Ludwig normally gets uh, to getting the win yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a couple of things. It's about having that, that finishing blow, isn't it? And that's what Mariana Voss has in spades. She always has that finishing blow uh, t- to really kind of that knockout punch. And um, it's also about having the team around you. And FEJ have just grown in strength st- very steadily from what they were, you know, five years ago. Uh, and each year they've added more and more strength. And so she has the people to protect her earlier in the race. And, and those bits of the race that you don't see, you know, the bits where the teammates are 20, minute down, 20 minutes down and maybe you look at the race and you say, well, what did they add to it? But actually they were critical because they were the people going back for bottles. They were the people getting the ice, keeping her hydrated, keeping her fed, keeping her out of the wind, keeping her safe. And every single time you save that, that tiny bit of energy, it all adds up to the finish. Um, and Mariana Voss, you know, she will have her teammates around her always of course she's so savvy at, at, at saving energy and now Celia Ludwig, she has those those teammates she has that team to help her um, and now she's got this confidence for the win from the win I wouldn't be surprised if we see either another win or more podium placings from her because I just think that the confidence from believing that you can do it enables you to do it again and perhaps that confidence came from her winning the Danish national jersey just you know just a a few weeks ago um but it was interesting how she came in because like you said Rook she was she was out of the helicopter shot shot you couldn't see her but actually what was so interesting is because Nivea Doma she started sprinting at 300 meters to go which on an uphill on a steep uphill is a long long way she drew out Voss and Mormon Passio they were right on her wheel but they had to put that really sharp effort in right at the bottom and then stay with her so they used their one killer punch right at the bottom of the climb Utrecht Ludwig didn't really have a choice but to to stay where she was because she was she was kind of almost boxed in a little bit further back and so she had to go at her own pace to claw her way back until she then unleashed her killer blow it's like she lit the fuse on a cannonball and then just exploded straight out of it for the win and uh, you know Voss and Mormon Passio just couldn't respond now you talked there Lizzie about the team um FGJ. Uh, so shall we hear now actually from uh, Cedric Batt, who's the uh, DS at FGJ, and uh, also Grace Brown, um, who's one of the key uh, teammates at FGJ as well. What was the feeling like in the team this morning before the stage? Were you all very motivated to go out there and turn things around? Yes, of course. Uh, before the stage, we have a good feeling. After the crash, we, we have a question. With, uh, the shape of seal, with the uh, body, because uh, it's not uh, easy uh, when you when you crash, but it's a good day now, and uh, it's uh, amazing. Everyone was so happy to see Cecily win today. Why was everyone so happy with for her? What is she like to work with? The other girls are happy because Cecily is a very strong uh, leader, good uh, leader, and uh, the girls don't hesitate to work for seal. It's uh, normal. So we are happy when the leader win, and uh, today it's perfect. How satisfying is this uh, as a win for Cecily when she's been so close so many times? Yes, of course the gap is uh, important after the stage of yesterday, but uh, step by step we can uh, take a time 
and the GC is not finished. For win it may be difficult, but for the podium, sure, it's possible. So day after day, we can uh, win a lot of time. And how does this rank among Cecily's wins? I mean, this has got to be the biggest win of her career. Yeah, the best uh, best win for Cecile, of course, is the Tour de France, the first. Uh, she she waited uh, this uh, since a long time. Uh, she win uh, other race, of course, but uh, I think the, this stage is the best. Of, and uh, maybe it's not the, the last. <laughs> Yesterday was, I think everyone knows that it was um, a really bad day for the team, but we, yeah, we uh, saw today as an opportunity to turn things around and fight back and show our strength, and I think we nailed it, really. Um, no better way to do that than uh, winning the race. <laughs> what was the feeling this morning within the team? Was it one of motivation? What, what was the vibe? Yeah, we, we sort of let ourselves have yesterday after the race to commiserate um, and then today yeah I could feel a shift in the mood and um, we were all really motivated to have a strong day on the bike and we knew that it was a stage that we could do well on um, particularly for Cecily on that finish and she proved that we were right. <laughs> we saw you like whooping as you were coming down the hill you're so happy for her why like what is it a bit about Cecily as a rider that makes you all feel so happy when she wins? Yeah, um, she's, I think she's so open with her emotions and um, she's, you know, a real uh, character and leader on the team that we all buy into her and we, we believe, you know, in her ability as a cyclist and, um, yeah, we, f we feel when things are not good and then um, she, yeah, she draws everyone in and, and shares the feeling of victory with us, um, which I think is a super good characteristic for a leader. Um, yeah, because now the whole team feels like we've won. What was Cecily's mood uh, yesterday after the stage? Uh, she was understandably really disappointed and uh, felt a bit unfair, you know, to have time on GC taken away because of a unfortunate crash. Um, but yeah, she's she's good at turning the the emotions around as well. So <clears throat> she yeah she was upset, which is understandable. But she she was fine. Yeah, but didn't we didn't all feel like we we're in the depths of despair? <laughs> <laughs> and how much did you have to change strategy as a team losing Marta Cavalli? Um, for today, not a huge amount, um, but yeah, obviously overall for the GC, we were we were going to have those two cards to play, um, and basically now it's just simplified things. We've got one GC leader. We don't have to uh, we don't have to yeah complicate it with two, um, and we all know that we're looking after Cecily. Uh, so I, I mean, it's yeah, it's a real pity that we've lost Marta and that card and she's super upset to have left the race um, but we've still got a really strong leader to um, ride for and even though Cecily has lost time on GC <coughs> a, a minute can be gained as easily as it can be lost so uh, yeah we'll see what the days bring. And do you have any uh, ambitions yourself for this week? Will you be allowed to uh, go for yourself? Yeah, the team's um, always really good uh, for me. Like I generally have a bit of a white card if I have an opportunity um, 
if I read the race and see that, that yeah, it's a good moment for me, then I can take it. Um, so, yeah, maybe tomorrow might show an opportunity for, for me, but we'll see. Uh, like today, I thought, you know, if I made it over the climb with the lead, I could um, maybe do something, but throughout the race, I felt like it wasn't a day for me, so I just went domestic mode. So it, it depends day to day. <laughs> Thanks, Grace. Thanks. Thanks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. We start the, the stage three in Reims, and it's a very important place for uh, women cycling, actually, Reims, because in 1958, uh, uh, on, on Reims race the first women's world um, cycling title was awarded to Luxembourg's Elsie Jacobs. That's the first ever Women's World Cycling World Championship took place in Reims in 1958. So obviously uh, an important, uh, you know, place uh, in the history of women's cycling. It is also uh, an important, you know, stronghold of women's cycling because it's also the homeland of Pauline Ferrand-Prévost, uh, who was actually... Uh, the, the first uh, woman to win the world championships in, in, in three different categories of, uh, of, of women's cycling, uh, mountain bike, uh, road race and, 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 and track. Of course, where Reims is no, known uh, above all for its cathedral, that's on the, obviously on, on, the, on the UNESCO World Heritage uh, list, um, is one of the major cathedrals in, in France. And of course, Reims is also the capital of Champagne, and uh, so well, that's in Reims. And this stage is all going to be about Champagne. I mean, Champagne is a region in the first place, uh, and Epernay, which is going to be the finish of the town, is also one of the m most important Champagne towns um, in terms of all the Champagne houses, uh, you know, having their headquarters there. So throughout today's uh, stage. Uh, you know, the riders would be riding along vineyards, uh, you know, seen in the distance, little houses and, you know, very posh uh, little castles with, with the name of, you know, very famous vineyards and champagne houses. So, well, obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that on the finish line, the, the winner will celebrate by you know, opening uh, a fine bottle of, of, of champagne. Uh, the, the, the funny thing about Champagne is uh, it's the, the most fa the, the most famous you know uh, fizzy 
uh, wine uh, on the planet. But it, it actually, if, if the if the history is right, the the man who, who imported the the, the 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 process of making champagne or put putting bubbles in white wine, uh, it actually comes from Limoux. Uh, Limoux is also known for uh, you know a, a fizzy wine called Blanquette de Limoux, and, and Limoux had a monastery and still has a monastery there, uh, where uh, a monk named Dom Perignon spent a little bit of time there, and he discovered that strange white wine, Chardonnay mostly, uh, that the monks there you know put bubbles in, and so he he, he learned from those other monks in Limoux how you make uh, you know. Uh, wine, uh, you know, fizzy, <laughs> and uh, he, he he took this uh, uh, this knowledge and this know-how to uh, to Reims and the the, the Reims and the Champagne region, and 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 made this part of France well famous worldwide for the, the for for its uh, for its wine. You know, you finish in Epernay. Epernay is really the, the Finnish town. I mean, the the the, the, the men's Tour de France, the Tour de France, homme. Uh, has been there a couple of times. The last time in 2019, when uh, Julien uh, Alaphilippe won a, a stage there, and well, the uh, the cycling podcast has, has great memories of Epernay because uh, we were lucky uh, at the time when the, the 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 Tour de France went there to be invited by uh, Laurent Perrier uh, to taste champagne on the uh, the house uh, in 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 the the vineyards and were invited to a dinner at. at I'm sure there was, at the time, uh, we recorded a, an episode of uh, Friends of the Podcast about it. So, great memories in Epernay. Actually, if you go to Epernay, it's also, you have to go to Avenue de Champagne, which is the main street, the main road, the main avenue, as the name implies, in Epernay. And it's supposed to be, it's been described by some as the richest avenue in the world. Because Epernay's most famous, you know, uh, street is home to 10 of the greatest champagne houses Uh, de Castellane, Moitin Chandon, Mercier, Perrier Jouet, Demoiselle, Comtesse Laframboise et Lesterlin, De Vénoche, Paul Roger. And, and all these uh, houses have superb renaissance of classical style buildings, but the, the richness, the wealth of the place it, in the cellars is underground. And uh, apparently, there are over 200 million bottles of champagne in the private cellars of these houses. So you imagine. Uh, given the price of champagne, how much um, you know m money, how much wealth uh, lies in the underground of Avenue de Champagne Epernay. Well, that's it for today. I think I'm going to, <laughs> to to serve myself a little cup of champagne to celebrate, as the I hope the riders will do. Well, let's talk tomorrow, Rose. Well, thank you very much to Francois Thomaso for giving us another little. A French flavour of uh, being here in Champagne country. Who knew that it was monks that started it all off? Uh, how are you enjoying your glass of champagne there, Brooke? I'm enjoying it very much. Thank I'm you, enjoying thank it you, too monks. Much. Yeah, <laughs> thank you to the monks for sponsoring the cycling box. No, um, thank you very uh, well. Not thank you to the monks. Well, thank you to the monks <laughs> for this excellent glass of champagne. I'm enjoying it far too much, as you can probably probably hear. But. Uh, And yeah. I'll be taking over the hosting of the podcast yes. from right now. <laughs>
little secret is that they had champagne in the press room as well. So we may yes. have gotten a little head start. <laughs> still haven't got a uh, a press proper press buffet, though, have we? Yeah. No, no, we're still starving, but at least there's alcohol now. So yeah, which is worse. It? <laughs> it totally is. So uh, a, a little bit more proofreading, a little bit more sub editing might be needed to happen. Uh, on this particular stage, but should we have a take a little look at the uh, the GC standings? Because that's kind of been uh, we haven't mentioned that at all. And Mariana Voss is still uh, in her yellow jersey, in her rightful place, shall we say? Uh, when we got Sylvia Persico in second, who's now 16 uh, seconds back. Uh, Lizzie, what do you know about uh, Sylvia Persico? I know you mentioned her yesterday, uh, saying that she was just on the cusp of having a big, big breakthrough. But what do we know yeah, about absolutely. her? Absolutely, and you know, I almost wondered if today, watching the coverage, if today would be that day when she was, she was in in virtual yellow by about ten seconds because she had twenty seconds on the group of Voss, and they were absolutely hammering it at the front. Um, and it, you know, it would have been such momentous, momentous occasion for her to suddenly be catapulted into the yellow jersey. But yeah, I mean, she's a rider that's just been getting better and better over the last five years. She kind of, she uh, came into my field of vision last year, I would say. I, I was noticing her results, and then of course she was third at the Cyclocross World Championships this this January over in the US. And uh, I think that was when people really started to sit up and notice her. Um, she had a really good performance in the Giro this year, and um, well, I mean, so far, so far her performance in the Tour has been absolutely phenomenal. But I mean, she's from Valcar Travel and Service, which is. A criminally underrated team, I think, you know, often kind of overlooked, but, you know, they, they were the birthplace of Elisa Balsamo, amazing sprinter Chiara Consoni. Um, they've, they've, you know, curated this talent in Sylvia Persico and they're such, such a good development team. And yeah, they've just developed so many brilliant riders, brilliant Italian riders over the years. Now, what we know about Valco, normally we actually, well, I always think of them as a sprinting team. They normally develop all of the best Italian sprinters, like you said there, Lizzie, uh, Elisa Balsamo being, being one of them. But they, you know, they're very much resolutely a development team. Uh, and I'm aware that, you know, that, that there have been rumours that they're in a bit of trouble, you know, they might not continue uh, on to next year. I mean, that, that's kind of a problem for cycling, isn't it? If it, if it can't support its uh, development teams and development riders. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, this is a, a perfect example of a, you know, a kind of like a very much underrated and a quiet team. Um, but it's, an, it's a very important feeder team. It feeds talent into the higher ranks of the, the World Tour. And um, I think these teams, continental teams, they're absolutely crucial for the growth of the sport. And... <laughs> Um, I really wish that, that sponsors would see the value that they uh, bring to the sport. I mean, it is kind of a, a problem that... It's something that we discuss quite regularly. I remember when uh, Lorena Weebus was um, moving from Park Hotel Valkenburg, and Park Hotel Valkenburg is another example of a team that produces a lot of riders, produces Debbie Vollering, for example, um, and th then allows them to go on, on to bigger teams. Uh, but we had Lorena Weebus leaving them, cutting off her contract to go to Team DSM, and now we heard that she's uh, going to SD Works. Uh, what what could cycling do to support these kind of de development teams? I mean, critically, they need funding, right? And what the nice thing is about a development team is that um, you can often come as a sponsor. You can come in at a perhaps a, a lower rate or a lower cost than you could with you know SD work or something like that and it's a great way to get involved to like see what it's all about and uh, and see if you can get your money's worth and without it being a massive 
uh, paycheck. I also think there's just there's just so much value to them, and and uh, it's also a way to create loyalty early on to not just the brand, but just like you know introduce people into the um, yeah into the world tour and into the program, and and uh, it would be really lovely to see some of these riders that have succeeded from these programs to give back. You know, come back as a DS, come back as a coach, and, and like you know build a build sport up from the ground. Well, well, that's exactly what we've seen with Yolene Dora, of course. You know, she was a rider for SD Works. She was, you know, one of the best sprinters in the world. And she's now gone over to the AG Insurance Next G team to go and be a DS there. And, and she's been, um, you know, she's been the DS for Ali Williston, who was actually one of my, my picks in the preview um, and, and unfortunately crashed out with a fractured wrist. I think I must have... Uh, I'm yeah. very worried. I'm just saying every day I'm just looking at Mariana Voss and I'm like, please not Mariana. Please be safe from Lizzie's <laughs> curse, please. I know, I'm so sorry. But um but no, you know, I think that's become so much more common and uh we've also seen Julia Sook come back. Uh she was a rider at DSM, of course, and now she's a DS at Le Col Wahoo, and I and I know from speaking to the riders there that she's added so much value to the team as as a DS who has recent experience as a female professional cyclist. So it is it is happening, like you say, Rook, and uh, you know, hopefully examples like Yolene and Julia Sook will will will, you know, inspire other women who are retiring to go go into those roles because I think it's really really important yeah it'll be amazing to see what Sylvia Persico can can continue to do at this Tour de France fam and uh, hopefully raise the profile of of Valkar even further Uh, but a a very familiar name in third place and that is uh, Kashinivia Doma who is on the same time as Sylvia Persico uh, in fact, but um, something that I think was missed by um, the TV cameras was that Kasia actually, mm. uh, despite coming in and sixth, she actually crashed Lizzie, didn't she? Uh, not that far from the finish. Yeah, so she was in the, having an interview after the finish and she said, well, you know, I had a crash, but it, it wasn't seen because there was so much chaos going on uh, in the run into the Côte de Mutiny. And uh, there were two crashes that, that were kind of caught by the helicopter cam, but the focus was on the front of the bunch. And you could see that she wasn't there. She was sort of, there was the front bunch, a gap, another group, and then a gap to her group. Um, but I think we're going to hear from Elise Chabé now to, uh, to tell us what happened out on the road. We wanted to have an aggressive race and that's what we had. It was quite hard from the beginning and uh, yeah, I mean, we were present pretty much all the time and uh, unfortunately Kasia crashed just before the bigger, the biggest climb and um, yeah, like uh, I was not sure if I had to wait for her or not and uh, I waited a bit and then Tiff also gave her a bike and uh, yeah then she could jump uh, back on the group I couldn't unfortunately to help her uh, but she was super strong to, to go back she did a huge effort for that and uh, yeah at the end uh, she missed a bit for, for the victory but I think uh, yeah we have to keep the, the positive and just to remember that she did a huge effort to come back and uh, yeah we saved uh, the time for the GC, so it's really nice. And um, tomorrow, I think, is another aggressive stage, and uh, we will really go go for it and see what's happening. Uh, and uh, yeah, we also try to enjoy as much as possible every every stage because the atmosphere is really really amazing. And uh, yeah, I think it's really cool to be here. <laughs> so yeah, hope it's okay. And uh, yeah, have a nice day. Ciao.
Well, Nivea Doma did an amazing job to claw her way back to the front. And of course, we saw her really fighting for those bonus seconds on, on the bonus climb, uh, just 4K from the end of the race. And she took two seconds there. But I do wonder, Rose, if she went if she went too deep on that climb and, and that kind of you know took the edge off in the finish for her. Yeah, I did one that, well, Rook, you were with me when we were watching that, the, the bonus climb that comes just before uh, the finish. And we were watching it and uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini was going for it and Cascinevia Doma. And they seemed to be putting in a really hard effort for that. And so on, I said, how many bonus seconds is this? And someone said, oh, it's 10, 6 and 4. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then, we, then it turns out three, two and one second. So if you came first, you got three seconds. Mm. Second, you came two seconds. Third, you got one second. To me, it didn't seem uh, worth it to put in all of that effort. Rook, what was your view on it? Yeah, yeah, same thing. I mean, if it had been 10 seconds, absolutely, go for it. But uh, especially knowing that these mountains are looming, a second, two seconds, it's just three seconds, it's just not worth it, I don't think. Um, especially given like what we saw with Neodoma. Like you burn a match and then you can't deliver uh, when it really matters. But but I think with, with Neviodoma, you know, we saw Voss getting dropped on the Cot de Mutiny just before and I think she would have probably been thinking, Okay, not only if I go over this can I get bonus seconds on, on Persico and Voss, but if I can drop them both and go to the finish, then I'll take the yellow jersey. So, you know, if it had all worked out and she'd have got the yellow jersey by one second, we'd have been saying, Oh, isn't Neviodoma a genius? And now we're saying, Well, you know, was it really, really worth it? So it you know, everything can change in, in the in, in a second's breath, but but it did feel a little bit like she was going a bit too deep and I could see Voss behind just kind of biding her time thinking, you know, you know I'm gonna, gonna use this effort to the finish and you know, she, she nearly got it, but Ultra Ludwig just, just came round her at the, at the end. I mean, I guess the difference between three, two and one, it's only, it's only one second each, but if you could get three seconds on arrival, uh, then it might be worth the effort. And, you know, if we consider that at the finish uh, of the race, uh, Ludwig got uh, two seconds uh, on the rest and then a, a group then got four seconds advantage again on Mavi Garcia. So, you know, we, I, guess it, I guess when you know that there's these huge mountains looming, then it all becomes a little trivial. If it was a race like the Women's Tour, for example, where often the whole GC comes down to a matter of a couple of seconds, then it seems... Uh, it, it does seem more reasonable. But, they, I mean, you know, Nividoma did a, did a fantastic job, um, as we said, of getting back and getting herself back into contention uh, so soon after that crash. But what do we make of... Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, in the talk, tale of the attack, Lizzie, about Annemiek van Vleuten, because obviously we always see her as a totally indomitable, you know, can't be beaten rook, but we saw a little sign of weakness, didn't we, today? Yeah, I mean, even after stage two, everyone was like, huh, we didn't see uh, Anamik today. Interesting. And then we're like, oh, she lost, you know, just, just under a minute or 30 seconds or something. And it's no big deal. The mountains are coming. No big deal. Then today, you know, we see her getting dropped, like, or at the very least getting distanced. And that is something we don't see very often. We, we, we see a rise coming and Anamik goes to the front and she's the one that's leading out the climb. And um, at that moment, I think most of us were like, oh, there's something, there must be something wrong with her. She's not looking well. She's not climbing the way she usually does. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, now we all know that she has a stomach bug and uh, she's pushing through it. Uh, she's very confident that it's uh, just one of those things that cures after a couple of days. But um, yeah, I think uh, for a few days there, she, we were all wondering what's happening with our outright favorite. Well, I mean, uh, uh, what's amazing is that uh, despite you know having an ailment uh, that she can still perform to a level where, where 
she is still uh, among the very, very top contenders. Although she did, she, I mean, know, she lost twenty seconds today. Actually, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, Rose. It was her teammate Emma Norsgaard's birthday today, and. Uh, my, my husband went out for a ride in uh, a Danish jersey donated to us by Emma Norsgaard today in celebration of Cecilia Utrup Ludwig's uh, stage win. And I, I, I messaged Emma saying happy birthday. And, and I said, you know, I just, Animix was just phenomenal to do that. And she said, yeah, she's made of something different. <laughs> you know, and that's her teammate. So, so she couldn't believe it either. So everybody thinks that, uh, that Animix is just, just something else. And, I think anybody who's who's had that kind of stomach bug where you just cannot you cannot stomach anything, and she clearly had to stop for a, uh, you know, a different kind of nature break today <laughs> in a critical yeah. part of the race. She did indeed, <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, going through that and coming back to that front group, you know, yes, she got just gapped a tiny bit but she still got back to the front group and she lost 20 seconds you know it's nothing I, I think it's really phenomenal to to have pushed through that and it does sound like she's getting through getting through it she will pay the price for a few days but if she can get through tomorrow have a couple of quiet days on stage five and six just keep eating keep you know topping up her energy levels then i really hope we can see her as a contender on stage seven and eight because the race needs her the ra- race needs her in the race Absolutely. And like, if this is her being so, so very sick, I mean, that should be a message for the rest of the peloton. Yeah, watch out. Yeah, yeah. it's very ominous, isn't it? Well, let's hear from uh, Annemiek van Vleuten uh, now. Annemiek, you weren't feeling so good these past couple of days, I understand. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, yesterday I played quite some poker because no one asked me about it. Today it was quite obvious I couldn't play poker anymore because it. Uh, Last two climbs was quite obvious that I'm not the old one. Now I got sick two hours after the finish in the first stage. Uh, yeah, like a stomach problem. And uh, you see, it comes fast, goes fast away. But yesterday I could not eat, could not drink. Uh, this morning I had already breakfast and I felt actually already super optimistic and felt like ready to go. But yeah, then you feel like yeah, you were quite sick uh, for 24 hours. So today I paid the best price for that. But I think I was already 100,000 times better than yesterday. So uh, yesterday I felt like super shit. So only only to lose yesterday, so I'm a little bit of time was already, uh, uh, yeah, was good. Okay, obviously tomorrow's quite a key stage with the gravel. What's your feeling ahead of that stage? Uh, take it day by day and at first I uh, finish and take care of myself today. But uh, I've seen it, so um, I don't know. I saw it after the Amsterdam Gold Race and then it was... Not so hard gravel, I won two times uh, Strade Bianchi, so I'm just not so keen to have gravel in stage racing. The bad luck factor, the factor, that's the only thing that was not uh, really attracting me. Uh, that was Annemiek van Vleuten, who's currently sitting ninth on GC at 1 minute uh, 14 back. It's, I was kind of surprised actually though, when Annemiek van Vleuten was dropped on a climb, to not see that the rest of the group really, really pushed on. I mean, that, that did... Uh, surprised me somewhat. Did it surprise you, Rook? Absolutely. I, I don't know who I was standing with, but I was just kind of just yelling at the screen, like, what are you doing? Like, don't sit up. Like, go. This is your moment. If there was ever a moment to, like, put a little bit of time in the GC, knowing what's looming ahead, that was the moment. And uh, I guess everyone was just preparing for the finale because, yeah, they, they let the whole group come back together, and uh, that included uh, Anamik and I don't know, taking Anamik up to a climb with you is never a good idea. Well, I know, especially when you have riders like Kasia Nevia Doma in that group, you know, whose whole G- tactic to do well on GC would be to 
take as many little points, little seconds that she can in these earlier stages, wouldn't it be, Lizzie? But it's, it's the Voss problem, isn't it? You know, they look around the group and they think like, oh, shall we work? And they go, well, Voss is here. And, you know, if she's not going to work, then she's just going to win. And OK, well, maybe they were wrong. <laughs> Cecilia Trip Ludwig actually had the best legs in the end. But, but the problem is when you've got a got somebody there who's such a clear winner there's no incentive to work because if they're not going to do their share or if they even do do their share but they're still going to win then well you know what's the point you know what's the point of expending any more energy you will just want to try and spend as little energy as possible but is that short-sighted knowing you know that this oh yeah is but a that's long cycling. race yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. When you've done 131 kilometers and you're pretty much going blind because of the effort, then yeah, you're pretty short-sighted. That's just how it is, you know. I think sometimes, from an onlooker's point of view, it's easy to forget how absolutely exhausted these riders <laughs> are. That they, you know, so much so that they're going cross-eyed, and it's so that's easy you, to sit watching. Why are they doing being this? Like, come on, come on, get on with it. What are you doing for the, sure? There's a reason I'm here, and I'm not in someone else's ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, one person who was pushing on was Demi Vollering, who is uh, another of the GC favourites. She seemed to, when she came to the front of the group, she really pushed on, but then uh, crashed on that corner, and uh, Liana Lippert also uh, crashed at the same time, just kind of slid out, uh, managed to get all back on her bike, managed to get back to that group uh, phenomenally. Um, but, yeah, let's hear from uh, Demi Vollering, who also uh, adds a little interesting uh, view on Annemiek van Vleuten. Our plan was to try something on that uh, first climb in the lab, how we did it now, and then uh, see what was how the situation was going on the top. If Lotte was still there, then yeah, then we should go for Lotte in the final. If not, and we were at a small group, then then we would ride to the finish. Uh, yeah, for the GC, Ashley and me. So uh, yeah. That was the plan, and uh, I think in the end it was still good. It was just a bit uh, disappointment that I uh, crashed there. I mean, otherwise maybe I was, if I need, didn't need to put so much energy in the chase, then maybe we could even do more today. We are now three days on the way on the Tour de France. It's a different race like all other races. We can conclude that after three days. <laughs> yes, it is everyday full gas, and. Uh, you can lose it every day, you can win it every day, so you cannot fall asleep in the races here. You need to stay really, yeah, really focused everywhere, from beginning to end. Did you feel like SD Works were the kind of motivating factor in that little group that, that you were leading? Did you feel like the other teams were as willing to pull as hard as SD Works at that point? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was. Uh, I was first chasing back, so uh, yeah. Then we were working all together. I mean, Kasia was also really fo motivated to come back, and uh, yeah, when we come back, it felt a bit, a bit down the speed. But I think, uh, yeah, then on the climb, uh, everybody was there again and uh, really focused, and on the final again. One last thing: What did you think when Anamik was dropped uh, after the after the last climb? Um, did you see that actually? No, I heard it in my radio, so uh, yeah, then I thought, okay, maybe because of the downhills, because uh, yeah, we saw that Giro also already, that she was not so good in the downhills and that she was really scared, so I thought maybe that's why she was dropped, but I don't know. 
science in sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France FAM. Science in sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to our sponsors, Science in Sport, for their ongoing support of the cycling podcast. Now, if you're looking for sports nutrition, whether that be for energy, hydration, recovery, or vitamins and supplements, then head to scienceinsport.com. And if you want 25% off your products there, and why the hell not, then don't forget to use the code SISCP25. Well, we're only three stages into the Tour de France fan, but it already feels like a, an elevated event, an event that's catching the, uh, the attention of the public, the imagination of the public. And I think that was confirmed last night, wasn't it, when First Lady uh, Jill Biden actually tweeted her support uh, for the riders at the Tour de France fam, and she picked out uh, Lily Williams, who rides for uh, Human Powered Health. Let's hear from her. Uh, Lily, you got mentioned by uh, First Lady Jill Biden uh, yesterday on Twitter. Uh, what was it like when you saw that? Uh, it's pretty wild. It's nice to see that people who aren't in the general realm of cycling fans are paying attention to what's happening. Uh, and she actually mentioned you specifically by name. Have you come across the First Lady before? Have you met her at a reception? Or? No, I think it's just a testament to how well the team has shared our Team Empowered Health mission prior to this event and gotten great exposure for us. And then, you know, of course, being one of just a handful of Americans racing here, it's great to see that people in the U.S. are noticing. What, what have the other American riders said to you? Because you're not the only, as you said, you're not definitely not the only American here. Yeah, no, I haven't talked to anyone specifically about it, but I think everyone's received their own sort of shout outs from people important so uh, we're all just happy to be here regardless of of what's happening you know and the Bidens are big bike fans themselves aren't they yeah from what I've seen um, maybe we can give our president a lesson on staying clipped in but <laughs> we've all fallen off early <laughs> in our cycling careers so uh, that's not that unusual and how much of a testament is it to you know the size of this event the fact that you know, the first lady will, will, will tweet about it. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I think people recognize the name of the Tour de France more than almost any other cycling event. I mean, I've certainly received attention during the Olympics as well, but um, this is a little bit different. Now, that was Lily Williams of Human Powered Health. And I know that Lily has been doing an awful lot uh, of uh, press around her appearance uh, here at the Tour de France. But what, what, you know, what do we know about Lily? Yeah, well, Lily is an interesting rider, both on the road and the track. Um, came to the sport quite late uh, and is obviously doing quite well for herself. Um, she also comes from an um, athletic family. Her mom uh, competed in the 1980 Olympics as a speed skater. Uh, and her mom was pretty active on the bike as well, raced here and there. And uh, they were big Tour de France fans growing up. Lily said she watched Tour de France pretty much every summer, uh, although she mostly watched for the cultural and scenic um, segments of the well, tour. She, she's not getting much of uh, To be honest, she's not <laughs> sitting here in Epinay drinking champagne. She'll be very disappointed, I should imagine. Yeah, yeah, she'll be missing the real-life cultural and scenic experience, but um, hopefully she can see something while she's out there on her bike. And, and uh, Lizzie, you know Lily a bit as well from uh, living with her in the US. Yeah, I lived just close to her when I was uh, in Asheville in uh, 2018 with United Healthcare. And yeah, she's, she's great. She's such a character. And she, she actually used to be a runner, a really high-level runner, um, and came over to cycling when she had an injury, like so many runners do. And uh, yeah, then she, she had a big win in the US, and then she got selected for the US track team and, of course, went to Tokyo. So um, 
yeah, it's great to see her out on the road now, and she's. I hope she's going to kind of ignite some of the breakaways later on in this in the in the race. Well, now that she knows that the first lady of the US is, is watching, <laughs> watching, yeah, uh, she better. <laughs> then she, you know she's she's got to do something. But um, I mean, we've got plenty more opportunities for some very exciting racing, don't we? I mean, tomorrow is. Uh, is the stage that I'm particularly excited about, uh, the gravel stage. Yes, I am so excited. I can't wait. I think this is uh, an interesting stage. I think most riders uh, don't care for it. They uh, they think that adding this element of bad luck uh, to the tour is is unnecessary. It's it's not fun. It's unfair, perhaps. Uh, and that's because anything can happen, right? You can flat. You can have a mechanical. Things uh, that are out of your control will happen on this stage, and that's probably the thing that cyclists hate the most. But I mean, that, that's that's just cycling, isn't it? Things happening that are out of your control, really. Yeah. Can but, you imagine you know, being uh, be- being Annemiek van Vleuten and having a few days of stomach bug, and then having to go onto this gravel, which she always says, you know, she hates it when it's such an element of bad luck. So poor Annemiek, she's having a pretty rough tour so far. Annemiek actually told me that she's not too worried about tomorrow. She oh, has uh, recceed the course. She knows it well. She's like ridden on gravel before, and and she she feels pretty confident that um, not only will she survive tomorrow's tour, she will also have kicked the buck by then. Oh, gosh, that I mean that's very ominous for for everyone else. But I mean, we have got no reason to to doubt that Annemie will do well. Although you know she has said before that she doesn't like the idea of of having gravel stages in races. She does very well uh, in. That kind of stage. She's obviously a Strada Bianca champion, uh, and in that Giro Rosa stage, stage two, a few years ago, uh, she got a, a huge lead there. But Lizzie, you know, who, who else are your picks for this gravelly stage? Uh, not necessarily to make time on GC, but just you know, as a stage win in itself. Well, I think Trek will be really looking to capitalise on this stage. They are really going with an aggressive strategy for the whole race. Uh, we've seen that already, and I really think we're going to see it again tomorrow. They've got a very strong team, you know, um, with, of course, Audrey Cordon-Rigaud, Ellen Van Dijk, Leah Thomas, supporting supporting uh, Elisa Longaborghini, as well as a world champion Elisa Balsamo, of course. And we've got nearly 13 kilometres of gravel tomorrow, with the last sector coming only 17 kilometres before the end. So that's going to be really, really critical, because if something happens in that sector, there is no time to, to, to rectify anything before the finish. And in addition to that, Rose, we've got this, this bonus climb, this 3-2-1 bonus climb at nine kilometres to go. So oh, we love a lot the of, bonus climb, don't we? We do we love, love the that. bonus climbs. <laughs> and it's really spicy. You know, you've got 1,500 metres of ascent in the race, and that's kind of backloaded as well. So, so we start off flat, and then it just gets harder and harder and harder. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, Rook, yesterday, you said we were going to see minutes difference today. And although we saw most of the protagonists at the front, the next group was minutes back, and I think it's going to be amplified tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tomorrow, uh, I'm not hoping for the carnage that we saw in the men's Tour de France in Stage 5, but there's going to be some upsets, absolutely. God, it's all to play for still, isn't it? It's so exciting. Well, uh, let me bid you adieu. Uh, Lizzie, thank you for your company. Au revoir, Rose. Au revoir, Rook. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Au revoir. Someone's I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Francois. Um, yeah, I tried, I tried to pronounce ram, ram. <laughs> but I just couldn't do it. <laughs> and thank you, Rook, who I should actually say, now that you do have a minor in uh, French cinema, don't you? Yeah, that means I can't speak it, but I love watching French movies. <laughs> so you should give us kind of more abstract, uh, a more abstract <laughs> goodbye from you. <laughs> you know... 
there's no like video to this, so you can't really see, you know, the the noir cinema. Oh, it's all going off. It's all going off here. <laughs> and uh, I'm very pleased to be able to uh, leave our listeners with a tour de Buffalo. Um, I mean, uh, I, I, it doesn't. It can't be said enough uh, how much uh, Richard Moore supported women cycling. How much he really was a pioneer in the field of of covering it, giving it the respect it, it deserved. And he would have absolutely. Uh, loved to have been here, loved to have been around for this inaugural Tour de France uh, fam. Um, so I'm leaving you uh, with him uh, at La Course in 2018, um, which was really, you know, kind of the, the race that that uh, set um, Cecily Uttrup Ludwig on, on her trajectory as well. Um, and uh, it, that was a huge battle between uh, Anna van der Breggen and Annemiek van Floyten. Um, so uh, let's uh, leave you with that. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. Look at that. Annemiek van Vleuten, the green helmet, oh. bobbing left and right. Come she on. is giving this her everything. Come this on. is coming down to a sprint a finish. Race. Van Vleuten's taking it. Holy moly. <laughs> well <laughs> rescued. Well rescued. Norman. What a finish. What a finish. We were all kind of set, oh. ready to go and speak to Anna it, van Interesting van times to be a Dutch she... female cyclist, wow. isn't it? Here's Annemiek van Vleuten. caught a bit of Annemiek Van Vluten there she's off to I thought she was going to commiserate with Anna Van der Breggen but none of, none of that she's off The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.